Welcome to episode 46 of the Creative Riding Motorcycle Podcast. I'm your host, the producer, and your producer, the host. So everybody, I am back from a vacation. Sorry to all of you who tried to listen to episode, what, 45, and uh, didn't get it in iTunes right away. I had released it on our social media outlets, uh, the Twitters, the Tumblers, the website, and I think even probably Facebook. Um, I had linked it to go out to all of those, so if you got to it through any of those sources, congratulations. If not, I'm sorry. I noticed a bunch of spikes in the plays once I got back from vacation or had access to a computer and got to put that out to the world. So it was available last Friday if you're paying attention, and I think only one or two people saw it. So my apologies, but I'm glad that the... uh, huge spike in the listenership after it went live and to uh, iTunes and all that stuff. So good to know. Good to know you guys are out there listening and looking and all that great stuff. I've been gone. I've been gone for a week and it feels like I've been gone for a year. I gotta say. Uh, I'll tell you where I went in a second, but let me just tell you, I came back bumpier than a pickle and I look like I have some grody skin disease because... Uh, yes, boys and girls, ladies and gentlemen, I I was in the American South. That's right, Arkansas! I was in Arkansas for a little bit. And uh, now that I'm back, I don't regret going, except for the fact that none none of my family wants to touch me. Uh, My cousin was telling me that every time he comes back, he works the oil fields in uh, West Texas, and he said every time he comes home, it's like Christmas. And, uh, you know, the old ladies happy to see him the kids are happy to see him yada yada make a long story short let's just say that when i got home everyone's grumpy from dealing with each other and nobody wanted to touch dad whatsoever my son didn't even want to hug me and like literally the only place that didn't get bit was my face he didn't want to give me a hug and a kiss so f you family Alright, one of the first things I wanted to talk about today, let's get serious here for a minute and drop this music, huh? Thanks uh, a ton to Jack Reacher, who's over there working the boards today. (laughs) Yeah, oh yeah. Alright, so yes, um, first things first, I want to tell all my friends, all my family, and the listeners of any shows that are on the East Coast right now dealing with Hurricane Matthew, stay safe and get the hell out out of Dodge if you can get to safety. I haven't heard from some of you yet, some of my family that's there and some of my friends that are there. Um, I just want to make sure you're all safe and I'm sure you got better things to do than check your cell phone. I know Steve from the Cafe Racer podcast, he is part of an, like an emergency management team and I, he's down there manning a computer, I think, for the next couple of days until things pass over. So it, this is no no joke. This is like a Hurricane Andrew. Uh, I remember I just happened to be driving down there right around the time Hurricane Andrew hit, uh, moving my friend's sister to a Norfolk, Virginia for the Navy. And um, yeah, that was kind of freaky for us California boys to be driving a big rider truck through that storm. But, you know, it just it was it was a little crazy, but it passed. Now I'm looking at the trouble this has already caused. And I'm just thinking, you know, you know, I you guys have been through them before. So it's you know, I'm sure everybody knows what to do. But I'm just saying just start doing it. And I don't know 
you know, the news likes to pump everything up so bad. I don't know how bad it really is. But if it's truly as bad as they say, it's better to be prepared than just be a little bit scared. So the other thing I wanted to talk about was I'll tell you about my vacation in a little bit. That was pretty amazing. The other day. I'm going to put something in the sink. Something's down in the garbage disposal, you know, pull it out for whatever reason. So go down and, you know, there's a light switch for the garbage disposal and a light switch for the light over the sink. So I can't see what's down in there and I'm reaching around in there and I reach over and, um, you know, my hand is in the sink in the garbage disposal, I'm feeling something grody and gross down there. I want to see what it is. You know, it's hard to see in there in the first place. I don't have a flashlight. And I reach over and I flick the switch on the wall. And the um, the light comes on. Because my garbage disposal switch is on the other side where they make it so you can't have your hand in the sink and flip on the garbage disposal. They're smart. The people who built this house are smart. All right. Well, hey. Let's talk about my uh, vacation. Why don't we do that? I'll tell you a little bit about where I went and what I did and who I sang to, huh? All right, Keanu Reeves, bring the music back up for us. All right, thank you. Yeah, I got some real big movie stars in here today working the boards for me. So, I should be playing country music instead of this little ditty that I composed here. But, uh, yeah, I traveled back to Arkansas for a week and I did not have access to internet there. I tried, but, you know, I just couldn't. It was in the woods. My, I went to visit some family. They live in the rural woods of Arkansas. And, um, yeah, it was really fun. And, uh, you know, Benny from the other day, from the last couple episodes ago, was not there. But um, who was there was my dad. And um, something I've come to learn, yeah, the first day I landed, I landed in the morning because I didn't want to be driving through the woods at night uh, if I could avoid it. And uh, my dad calls me up and says, hey, don't don't rent a car. You know, I'll come get you. So that's nice of him. Thank you for coming to get me, dad. Uh, he, I told him about the show. I told him that I had played some of his phone calls on the show. He was, uh, I don't know what he thought of that, but anyways, yeah. So not cool to drive through a twisty, windy woods, uh, late at night. So we got there early in the morning. And the first thing I did upon getting to my dad's house is realize it's been five years since I've been back to see my dad, and uh, apparently he hasn't cleaned his house since the last time I seen him. Yeah, my dad has turned into a bit of an alcoholic hermit, if you will, and as you can imagine, living in rural, any any part of the rural uh, U.S., anybody that's listening to this probably knows, you don't have a dump, you don't have trash service, you have a burn pile. And uh, you usually live in a wooded area, and uh, if you cut down trees or cut timber to sell from your property or whatnot, or even just clearing it, you got a huge, huge brush pile. And I'm talking like an 80-foot bonfire going on. This is like, if you if you pay attention to motos and Moab and all that fun stuff that the um, young hip generation does, you'll see them riding around this huge bonfire that a guy in a flamethrower lit, right? Well... This is that bonfire times two, at least. I mean, it's like, we're talking like 80, 100 foot tall flames. Some of the trees catch on fire around there. Hell, the fire department freaked out one time and called and since it's private 
property they really can't get back in there and my family together owns considerable considerable uh, acreage so it's inaccessible to the public and fire service and all that stuff and so they get freaked out when they see this huge what looks like a nuclear bomb went off in the forest there and they they come down to the uh, the beginning of the roads that lead back and they try to figure out where it is and then my dad meets him up there with the six pack and says hey boys it's all fine you know it's me get out of here whatever so I get there my dad has not cleaned his house in five years so you can imagine that he probably hasn't mowed the lawn in that long either now my dad has sheep and he has a wonderful garden and he pays more attention to that stuff than he does to his house. He comes home, he bathes every day. He had to re, uh, refinish his bathroom. So that was literally the cleanest room in the house because it was just all redone. I come in with my little bag. I didn't pack too much because I, I didn't you know, want to have to check a whole bunch of baggage. But um, I, even with a little carry-on, I did not have a place to set my bag. I was disgusted. And the only other thing that he does regularly is his laundry. So the only clean place to put my bag was on top of his washing machine. So the first thing I did after flying for, I don't know, eight or ten hours, I had, you know, layovers and all that great stuff. First thing I did was uh, cleaned up his yard. That consists of just shy of brush hogging. I mean, I went around, I clipped trees that weren't even there five years ago. He's just... He's got all these um, type of trees are those. I think he's got uh, walnut trees around his house. So big old walnuts fall. It rains a lot in the south and it's, you know, perfect weather for growing stuff because it's always a little bit humid. Basically, what I'm getting at is that there were trees there just from nuts falling out of the other ones that weren't there five years ago. It was actually really not humid when I went back there. It was like the most beautiful, perfect weather you could ever hope for. So I was hoping the bugs wouldn't be that bad. Uh, I think I just mentioned a minute ago that I came back bumpier than a pickle. And this is where it all kind of ties together. You know, I'm landscaping my dad's house, basically, and I'm cleaning up and I'm raking. Uh, I think I said he's an alcoholic hermit. So outside his back door, since he doesn't have a trash can and he doesn't have trash service and you usually just burn your trash, he's got like a three foot high pile of booze bottles and most of them are plastic he's not that fancy to buy ones in glass bottles too expensive so it's just this huge mountain of of plastic bottles the grass oh i was raking it up and the flies were pretty bad bad this year he was telling me my uncle was telling me but uh when i raked this pile after kind of sorting all these bottles into a plastic pile and then another one into like a glass pile and then getting all his various tin cans that he'd also thrown out there. Um, yeah, I raked it and the grass was like growing up through all of them and just a bajillion flies. It was like if you took every single fly from a cow pasture and put it into like a four by four square foot area where he had piled all this crap, that's what had happened. All these little flies were living down there on the food cans and like in the rum jars and all this great stuff that he had down there and it was disgusting all these flies they come out and they go all over and i is like totally disgusting because the ground even smelled like rancid alcohol all those bottles you know had alcohol and just that rum 
uh, it was like such a concentrated smell that it was sickly and it made me, you could smell it the whole week I was there. I think by the last day after us cutting grass and everything and me raking it 14 times, it finally didn't smell. But if you're familiar with the South or you live down there, um, you guys know what chiggers are. And if you don't know what chiggers are, they're, they're, they're these little tiny, I guess a chigger is basically the larval stage of a this little red mite or like a harvest mite. But chiggers jump on you and you can't see them. Now, there's also tons of ticks. And, and this wasn't even like prime season. Like prime season is like when it's really hot out. And like during the summer times, I used to, it used to be awesome because I used to see all the beautiful fireflies at, at nighttime. You sit out there and drink sweet tea and watch fireflies and listen to the locusts and the frogs and stuff and the creek. Cause the house that he lives in was uh, built, gosh, like in the 1890s or something like that. There's a lot of old houses back there and people just kind of keep updating them over the years. And that's how my dad's house was. And it was an old school house for a period of time. And I think they tore it down and rebuilt it in 1936. So my dad's living in the version that was rebuilt in 36, and it's still standing there today. And so let's just say that it's um, it, it's in really great shape, actually, for how old it is. And the original foundation is the one from the 1800s. So it's pretty interesting and kind of cool to see. But uh, yeah, there's also like an old wagon shed there that my great grandpa um, used to drive. You know, he didn't ever have a car. He only rode horses and had wagons and they didn't even get electricity till the 60s. So just imagine yourself kind of going back in time already. And when I was in high school, they were playing stuff like Michael Jackson on the radio out there. And they were playing already like Nirvana and Soundgarden and, you know, all that stuff out here. And it's like, so you could imagine we're, we're back in time about 30 years already. And then (laughs) just, you know, my dad has kind of stopped back in the eighties. So at any rate, yeah, I'm back there landscaping his house and I'm just getting covered in unbeknownst to me, chiggers because you can't see them. And they usually go up into your, you know, if you don't spray yourself off, they'll go up into your pants or up onto your shoes. And they usually kind of bite you around the ankles, wherever you're kind of, wherever you're they find bare skin, and that's usually at the top of your socks or the top of your shoes, sometimes the top of your waistband. I've seen some horrendous pictures that look like people just rolled through a field and just like got covered in them. It's totally disgusting. But they bite you, and then they feed on you like a tick. Like a tick will embed its head and suck your blood. Well, these things don't have like a mouthpiece that's like a straw, like most other sucking animals, like mosquitoes and stuff. They have all that. What they do is they bite you and they start spitting their saliva in and it turns your, has enzymes that breaks down your skin and turns them into mush. And since they don't have a sucking tube, your skin's reaction is to harden around the, um, that area, the cells make it react, whatever is in their saliva, the enzymes make it react and it makes the cells of your skin harden around the area. So they don't need a special little proboscis or a sucking tube or anything like that to get their food. Your skin kind of forms this hard tube where their enzymes have gone down in in a reaction and then they just slurp it up through there and they're constantly injecting their saliva. So the longer they're on there, the worse your bite is. And they're a pain in the ass because they're itchy as all hell. And that's usually what's wrong is usually just like a mosquito bite, the bite itself, unless you have a reaction to it, isn't usually that bad. It's the scratching and oh my God, chigger bites itch like crazy. So when I was a kid, my ankles looked like pizza because just like 
you know, I would just scratch them. They were always red. And if you imagine pizza with like a bunch of red sauce and cheese and uh, big giant pepperonis, that's what my ankles look like. And that's totally disgusting sounding. And it was because I couldn't, you know, they, they itched me so bad, but they were only around my ankles. This time, just because of the sheer amount of cleaning that I had to do to get that place recognizable, I was off in all sorts of brush. I was like clearing all sorts of trees. He's got these little things called horned caterpillars that are all white and they have these orange horns coming off the front and the back. They got like just, you know, caterpillars can be all hairy and then they have these really long, uh, hair groups or hair clusters that stick off and they're white with orange clusters and he's all oh yeah they'll sting you blah 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 well I've never seen him before around because maybe I just never noticed him when I was younger or they he just didn't have his house covered in them because nature wasn't taking his house back um but at any rate I'd never seen him I'd never got stung by him but my uncle confirmed that they're pretty nasty and next thing I know is I'm kind of weed eating around the old well house in the front which is an old well that you used to drop a bucket in and reel it up, just like in fairy tales. That's what my dad actually had operational. He he does have a modern well and a modern sink, but they still would use that once in a while when the pipes froze during the winter. And um, we'd eat it around there, and my neck's itchy, and I'm scratching it, and oh, that made it worse. And I scratch it more, and I scratch it, and it's all around now, and my shirt is just crazy. And um, so I keep weeding, and I, I take off my shirt, and there's one of those caterpillars right on the shoulder of the shirt. And the problem is, is that he's half naked now. So half of him is white and fuzzy, and the rest of the half is, is just a white naked worm, which means that all these things that are poking and itching my neck is probably his little bristly fur. And that's probably, they might not sting you. I don't know what my dad was talking about stinging you because they don't have stingers, but those little bristles probably come off as sort of a, a predator deterrent. And I can tell you those things were loaded around my neck and I took my shirt off and I shook him off and put it back, shook my shirt and put it back on. Not going to complain about it. Just going to keep dealing with it. But now my neck looks like somebody went around and took, let's just say, like a, a metal, br- like a metal uh, bristled brush and just tapped my neck about 25 times around there. And it just is totally, uh, you know, looks like I have an acne breakout all over my neck. And that's not the bad part. The bad part is my legs because the chiggers got up into my pants and decided... Uh, every single, and I sat down to eat lunch with my dad on this front porch. There was probably a whole bunch of stuff on there. I, I don't know how many ticks I got off me, but the chiggers worked their way all up into my pants. Cause my pants, you know, were a little bit tight and I didn't have, my, my, when I used to live back there, I'd wear boots. I just had packed one pa- pair of sneakers because I didn't have room in my bag and, um, made sure there were my shitty shop shoes. Cause I knew my dad would have me doing something. And not only was was that the first day, but every day, including that one, and every day until I left, uh, my dad is a, raises sheep as like a side business, and he sells sheep and all this and that. So I ran through a field catching sheep almost every night and uh, trying to find, you know, he has... He's, he had babies that his sheep were kidding every single night I was there. And every day we would have two new babies and every night they'd be there. And then the next morning they'd be gone. So something was getting his sheep at night. And he told me 
we lost six sheep while we were there, six babies. And he said in the couple, in like the week before I had even got there, he'd lost three. And then there was a stillbirth one and all this stuff. So, I mean, if they weren't making it through pregnancy, some predator was getting them. And he didn't think it was coyotes. He has these three big Pyrenees sheep dogs, but they lay around the house and sleep all day. They are like the worst hobos that you could ever think of. They're like just terrible. They're like teenagers and uh, but like 200 pound teenagers. These dogs are literally like bigger than I am. And they're totally unfriendly because back there, a lot of dogs are tools. They're not pets. And so you're not nice to them and you're not like super kind to them and you just feed them and they do their job and they get their food. And if they don't do their job, they might get a, um, a little bit of lead. So basically they're not like friendly or pets or anything like that. So I I was just like, dude, are these like tiger sized dogs going to eat me one time when I come out here? And he's all like, nah. So they didn't obviously, but at the same time at night they'd be barking at stuff, but we didn't know what it was. And we went over there one night. We were at my uncle's who lives, you know, within like like a couple football fields away from my dad. And I heard the dogs barking and this is all in the woods. They live in the woods. And I said, Hey, the dogs are barking. So we went over and jumped in his truck, crossed the, through the Creek, went up. It, it's four by four territory too. You have to have a four by four to get around and there's no paved roads. Like it's all dirt roads. And the directions are literally like turn at the white rock, turn at the barn. You'll see the big oak tree by the high high line pole. Like that's the one thing that's consistent is electricity runs around through there. So if you know where a high line pole is, it's like uh, using a constellation. So, you know, we're crossing the creek. We're winding up through toward the sheep pen. And by the time we get up there, the baby that was there that evening is gone. So it's like, well, the dogs are barking at something. We can't figure it out. He thinks it's owls. So I don't know. But the last day I was there... The mother, one of the mothers had, um, he's got like a hundred head of sheep ish somewhere around there. Actually, maybe not that many, maybe about 50. Yeah. He's got about 50. And, um, like I said, every night, like one or two babies go missing. And then, um, that day that I left, the mother had twins. One of the mothers had twins and we put him in his barn and he says, I'm keeping him out here. These ones in the barn. Cause if it's owls, they won't, you know, they bed down out in the field And even though the field is fenced in, he doesn't think it's coyotes because they would have a hard time getting them and dragging them to the fence and all this stuff. So he thinks it's owls. And he caught vultures um, eating one of his sheep one time. So that was during the day. He said this is consistently happening at night. So um, there are mountain lions and bears, but I mean, they wouldn't waste their time on a little, you know, 10 pound, five pound baby lamb. They'd go for like the cattle that my uncle has that also shares this range. So yeah. And all the deers and donkeys and probably dogs. I mean, you know, they go after that stuff first. So it's probably a small predator like a fox or a coyote or an owl. So at, at any rate, I'm running around through all this stuff, getting just eaten up by bugs. And that's why I knew I probably wasn't going to be greeted when I got home. I knew I was going to need a vacation for my vacation, and I didn't know if my wife and kids would understand that I was going to come home worry, uh, even like more tired than when I left because I just went on a, quote, vacation. But it was a workation. And not that that really... Not that that really mattered to me because otherwise I would have just been sitting around kind of bored, you know, 
Um, so I am, I really do like physical work and like doing stuff. So it was, it was nice. And that was a way to bond with my dad, which is cool. But yeah, finding out that your dad is like this alcoholic hermit who doesn't like people and who hooks up with every hide in the town that, uh, will get naked for him. Yeah. It's interesting to say the least. What I did get to do while I was there was I got to see a lot of the motorcycle scene. And I have to say that there's no helmet law, so quite a few old dudes with shaggy beards cruising down the road, mostly on cruisers. I saw a couple Victories, a couple Harleys. Um, I did see some uh, Gold Wings, like mostly big cruisers, though. I didn't really see any. Uh, I, I saw two sport bikes and a scooter. So that's something I did want to remark about is that when you're there, the speed limits are so low that basically the scooter could make it on the freeway because on the freeway, the freeways are two lane. And so it's technically a highway, I guess. But the highway, the the top speed is only 55. And they're talking about, oh, over in Oklahoma, it's uh, 65. And you get down to Texas and it's 70 and 80. And I was like, dude, in Cali, it's 70 in most places where I live. And if you're not going 80, you're getting ran over. So it's like really 90. But you know, that's, you know, we're, we're getting into theor- theoretic speeds now. I'm just saying, you know, the actual speed limit is max 55, at least in that part of the state. I think he said uh, around some of the college towns and the bigger cities, which there's only like three big cities in Arkansas, it is 65 and 70. But here it's 55, and then every time you hit a town, it goes to 45, then to 35, and then back up to 55. So, whoa, Nelly, hang on. You can actually drive scooters that are, you know, 50cc. If you're light enough, you can get them up. If you can get them to 55, you can drive them on the on the highways. So, it was really interesting to see that. Uh, I remembered this place that had a bunch of motorcycles parked out front, and I didn't see it this time. I don't think my dad said the guy wasn't there anymore. So I, I really wanted to get a picture of that. And, you know, times change uh, for some people. For my dad, you know, he's stuck back in the the 80s, the 1880s practically. But other people apparently move on, and, and I really wanted to get a picture of this shop that had the whole parking lot what it used to be a parking lot had literally grown over and there was hundreds of motorcycles parked out there in each space. And they were just like rooted in place because the dirt had grown over and pretty much. So that was something cool. He also lives pretty close to the CMA, which is the Christian Motorcyclist Association campground. And uh, they weren't in at the time, but they do come to see the colors change and, that's, you know, fall weather is really beautiful. I'm sure in the Northeast, people go to see the colors change up there, but also, you know, all over the Eastern U.S. period where there's deciduous trees, the colors really change and become real beautiful. And you get a lot of bikers going down there at that time. That's one thing, you know, he really takes for granted everybody that lives down there. Um, there's just some really beautiful parts of the country. And I have to say that that's one of them. And I told my dad that he takes that stuff for granted every day because, you know, I have to travel to find that sort of stuff, you know, where there's old milk barns and, you know, just acres and acres of cow pasture, forest, you know, farmland, hay fields, whatever it is. You just, you just really don't see that stuff. Um, even here in Central California, where there's a lot of agriculture and a lot of happy cows and all that great happy shit, um, there's there's not a whole bunch of stuff like he you know 
gets to see every single day. So I don't know. It's really great motorcycling country if you want to go to sightsee. I mean, you can do stuff like the Grand Canyon and Moab and all that great stuff. But if you want to just see some really rural landscapes where people currently live and are active, um, that's just one place. So we'll talk a little bit about my vacation in a bit. Let's let's uh, talk about some other stuff that happened while I was gone. So, hey, something that I that's really kind of I don't know it's I think it's innovative and it's really cool is Twitter. And I know that there's been there's this little thing going on in the United States right now called a presidential debate that's happening and I think Twitter has been playing those live. Twitter's basically been live streaming. And if you if you know Twitter had the Periscope app, they still have it, but now that Facebook has gone live, I don't know how long that's going to last. Facebook is like the social media Google if you will. And so, yeah, I'm not 100% sure. Hang on one sec. I'm not 100% sure how all this is going to pan out with, uh, you know, if Periscope's going to last, what what their plans are for it and all this stuff. But a, a cool thing that maybe has developed out of that is that Twitter is like live streaming a bunch of stuff now. And they live stream the presidential debates. They recently live streamed the uh, a football game last night. That I saw and they, you know, they're just live streaming a whole bunch of events. And I'm thinking what a great opportunity. Now, a presidential debate and uh, an American football game. These are some huge revenue streams because advertising and all that stuff. And, uh, you know, every it's a great place to be seen if you're if you got money to spend on that sort of stuff. So I'm not 100 percent sure how much it costs to break into this little uh, you know, this like new sort of stream revenue. But I was thinking how great this would be. A lot of people have complained recently that you can't see American racing on anything. Hell, they don't play auto racing hardly on, um, what's it called? On, on I don't know if it's called Speed TV now. I, I haven't had cable in so long that I don't even know if Speed, what used to be Speed Channel and Speed Vision and all that stuff. I don't know what it's called now, if it's got its own name. But, uh, you know, that, that stuff just, they quit showing like all the local and regional stuff unless it is big money like NASCAR and, and Formula One. And they, they, to some extent, as far as I know, uh, quit showing... Uh, World Rally Championship and all that great stuff. And so now I'm really surprised and actually happy to see that uh, on NBC Sports, I believe it is, because I don't I don't have cable, but, you know, you can still get air uh, over, you know, broadcast from over the air major local networks. And on one of my local networks, they I watched Rallycross a couple, I guess it's been a couple months now, but at the same time, you know, how great is that, that they're, you know, featuring new sports and stuff like that. So my point being, I don't know what it would take for, I guess, motocross or which already has like a Fox or a NBC sports deal, I believe right now, but American road racing, wouldn't that be awesome? I, they just announced, I guess, that they are extending it out to 10 series next year, uh, if my sources are correct. And yeah, so American road racing, how great would it be if we can get stuff like that if they're not going to get a TV deal to get a Twitter deal? And like I said, I don't know what sort of revenue we're we're talking about to get on included on Twitter and if anybody can just stream it like you could like a Facebook thing. 
but uh, you know it can never be free because at some point um you know who who's going to pay for the bandwidth and and the hosting and all that. I, I understand being uh just having like a crummy blog and a and a podcast that all that stuff costs a little bit of money and so you know it can never be totally free but for you know a minimal i'm guessing a minimal the same sort of stuff that you would have got for uh, a tv package that you can probably incorporate that somehow into a twitter uh stream and people wouldn't have to go subscribe to be in sports and get a special sports package in order to watch stuff like American road racing and even flat track racing. I believe I heard that, that NBC sports, uh, I think I'm not sure if that's a spinoff again, not having cable. I'm a little bit out of the loop on this stuff or if it's like NBC two or whatever the heck it is. But if you don't, you know, you used to have to watch fans choice to watch American road racing and flat track. And then of course when American road racing went to crave or, Moto America and all that stuff. It they got the BN sports package, and you can still watch flat track racing on fanchoice.tv. Well, now you still can watch fans choice on TV, but uh, from what I heard, NBC Sports is going to be launching on Thursday night, so it'll be you know roughly a four day delay. Uh, but it's you know, Thursday night TV is the, is the night where. It's not Friday, so you're not going out, and it's not the middle of the week, so you're busy or whatever. Thursday night TV is like a really prime night for TV, and they're going to be replaying the flat track races for 2017 on NBC Sports or NBC2, whatever the heck it was. Um, by the end of this show, I'll make sure to go back. I, you know, I haven't really wrapped my head around being home yet and getting into There's so much stuff with, with work and what's been going on uh, that I haven't really got much time i've only had like 12 hours so i haven't had much time to live life and like get into all this research stuff that that i should have been doing for the show but i hope you'll understand but as i'm recording this and it's uh it'll go out in a couple days hopefully i'll have some time to research and i'll be able to tell you uh surely if who's doing this package but but it's an awesome package you know it sounds really cool and i'm just wondering if twitter is going to be the new sort of uh, you know, adding like this live streaming stuff, if that's something that that's as motorcyclists, we can get, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not saying like trade shows and stuff like that, but definitely events that don't already have a TV deal. Now, maybe this will be a new thing where we can stream and, and it just looks so cool because it's live, you know what I mean? And, and, uh, there, as far as I could tell, there's no delays and I'm not a hundred percent sure if you can go rewatch this stuff, but, uh, you know, at any rate, it's it's a great, it's a cool thing to have to be able to see uh, this sort of stuff emerging. Because I'm sure not right now, if it's not available, that it soon will be. And you can, you know, have your whole little deal hosted there. Um, and we can, if it trickles down for enough, we can, hell, the WIR Top 10 Drag Nights can get broadcast and stuff like that. So, you know, or, you know, any, any little event like that, like the... Uh, I thought it was cool that the hot August nights was broadcast on a uh, live stream. So if, um, if you're friends with Twitter, ask them, say, Hey, Twitter, are you going to, is this going to be around? Is this going to trickle down? Is this going to make newer things accessible to more people? So we can get some of this grassroots stuff going and, and actually have a place to live. Hey, something that's going on right now that I was, I knew I was probably going to miss was the Intermot show. 
And that's happening right now in Cologne, Germany. <laughs> if you're familiar with Cologne, Germany, you know that every year Intermott kind of kicks off the motorcycle show season. There, and there's ICMA, then there's um, the International Motor Shows and the AIM Expo and all that great stuff that uh, goes on over here afterwards. So right now Intermott's going on, and for the past couple of days while I've been out of town, uh, stuff has just been streaming in. Now, I had a feeling that there was going to be a lot of these 2017 models that I've been talking about for the last few months. Oh, all these bikes are just going to start coming out and we're going to see this whole barrage of new bikes for 2017 because of the Euro 4, because of bikes being discontinued and some being reintroduced, all this great stuff, right? Now, Suzuki for a little bit has had two... 2017 bikes up on their uh, website and if you go just to the consumer site that you can get to you you already could have seen that they had you know the sv650 was up there and that's basically uh, a 17 they had the van van they actually carried over a lot of the other bikes like the uh, TU 250x which you know that's that's always been they're a staple they have the GW250, which is coming back. Uh, so, but you know, a lot of stuff carried up. But now for uh, Intermont coming out, we can see okay, the new GSXR, I knew they were going to hold off. And uh, <clears throat> when they did, now one of the cool things that's come out has been some of the details of that thing. And, you know, they've improved airflow, they did some changes to the motor and, and chassis. Uh, Honda also has coming out with the CBR 1000 RRSP. Um, Aprilia has come out with some news, well, re- revised stuff like the RSV4. They claiming it's a second faster than before. And uh, Aprilia also has the Tuono V4 1100 RR and V4 1100. They got, you know, basically some updates. And these are really you know, really cool, sexy looking bikes. And, and, um, the, I have to say the Honda, the CBR 1000 RRSP, I really like the design of this. Uh, I really liked, they say it's the first heavily revamped CBR in years. And that's a lot of the criticism that, <clears throat> excuse me, Honda gets is that their the CBRs haven't changed in a long time, like eight years or something like that, nine years. And people don't get excited about these bikes because they're the same thing. And you can't just, you know, change a headlight or something and then, or change, you know, one little thing and expect it to sell hand over fist. I guess that's why the speculation that they're getting rid of the uh, CBR 600 RR came around is because nobody wants to buy a bike that's outdated. So the new, pardon me, CBR 1000 RRSP is totally revamped and redesigned. And again, not as, to me, not as chunky and blocky and angular in the front. They're kind of leaning out again and everything. So I really like that. The Suzuki, um, speaking of Suzuki's again, the the V-Strom, the 650 and the XT have got overhauled and, and look really cool. The 1000 and the 1000 XT, they're listing them as 2018s. So if you go to Suzuki's website, you can actually go and see what they have slated for 18. It's the GSX S750 and the GSX S750Z, which both kind of have like a revised look to those. And then the V-Strom 1000 and uh, 1000 XT. Um, I don't know. You know, they're really, they're kind of introducing them now, but 
Uh, I'm sure they're going to be getting released in 2017. They a lot of times they do that, but it, it's also showing you that they're thinking, they're forward thinking for the next couple of years. So this is pretty interesting seeing all this cool stuff. The uh, Kawasaki ZX10 RR. That thing looks pretty cool. It know, says it got a homologation special. So all these bikes getting homologated for the new, uh, the next racing season, it really making kind of heating up the, the uh, outputs that we're going to see for 20, uh, seven, 2017 and then also 18. So the GSX-750, the GSX-S750 and 750Z, uh, kind of wanted to chat about those because they get like more of a little bit more of a Street Fighter look to them. You may remember a couple episodes ago when I was talking about the EPA, that California has their own version called CARB, which is the California Air Resources Board. And some of these Suzuki's weren't, uh, I mean, I know that the TU250X, which is, it's kind of like a, a standard bike, but it almost looks like a little retro cafe racer in some aspects. <clears throat> Pardon me, that and the GW250 didn't make it here because they weren't uh, 50 state legal. And neither was the GSXS 750. And basically, you know, due to the Euro 4 stuff, it says uh, when I was reading their little, their little uh, press launch that it's going to be sold in all 50 states now. And I'm guessing mostly due to the fact that the Euro 4 standards are way more strict. And so it's going to, I'm guessing most of the bikes that come out that meet Euro 4 are going to meet 50 state standards. It's a pretty tough standard from what I had read a few months ago. Something else that really piqued my interest is the new Honda. And if you go and check out the, uh, you know, go check out the coverage, Look at the the 2017 CB1100 RS. Now, if you remember the 750 RS from back in the day, it was a cruiser. And it. I think they used that motor, though, for flat tracking and stuff like that. So, I mean, there was some pretty cool um, stuff you could you can make out of it. But it, it didn't look quite as cool and sexy. It did look a little bit shadowy, you know, a little cruisery. Their new 1100 RS, if you remember the CB, they brought that out in 2010. I think they only made it till... 2014, I want to say, because for 15 and 16, I don't think they carried up in the States, but they did have them up in Canada. And those were retro. They looked really cool. I was, you know, they kind of look like the modern version of a CB750 to me. I was really sad that they didn't really take off here in the States, but the U.S., for, for whatever reason, does have a bad reputation for not selling naked bikes real well or standard bikes. Probably, you know, everybody, if you think about your first bike, what do you want? You want like an R6. You want like a Gixxer uh, 1000 or something like that. I mean, not a lot of people are buying like super crazy high um, Busas or anything like that. And some people are getting into the Harleys and Harley doesn't really make anything smaller until they came out with the street 500, but nobody wants those. So you're looking at like sport bikes and for cruisers, you're looking for bigger stuff. So for whatever reason, naked bikes don't tend to take off very well here until you eat shit on your sport bike. And now it's a street fighter and now it's a naked, you know? And so for whatever reason, these, you know, the scrambler crew has kind of I, I'm guessing is going to do like a reignition of the 
uh, at least heritage lines, which Honda and and Kawasaki they had before it was cool, and then they were like a little bit late to the game or something, or you know for whatever reason they discontinued it before the whole like just before the whole scrambler craze came on. And if you think on like a CB eleven hundred, that's a little bit too big to be a scrambler, you know what I mean? But then when you look at BMW's R nine T and it's an eleven seventy, and Ducati's is like a nine hundred, and then now. Uh, you know, the Triumph, they always had one, and I believe that motor was a 900 or 950, something like that. And they've even got like a little bit bigger ones now. But it kind of fits with what's going on in the motorcycle market and what's kind of cool. Is it too late? Because I kind of already see the scrambler craze grow- going away. But I think this heritage, you know, Yamaha, they have the, uh, you know, when they brought out the XSR, I really like the look of that bike. And I really like the way that it, it does look like a modern retro and it kind of takes up where the W, the Kawasaki W600s or 650s and the W800s kind of looked. Um, definitely the, the, the scrambler and the R9T look, but more, more importantly, the bolt, uh, you know, the SCR 900 that's coming out, SCR 950 rather that's coming out and this is like a good mix between that. And if you look at the new Hondas, they look really cool. They kind of look, okay, here's what they remind me of. And I think it's because of the instrument cluster. The front end reminds me of a Moto Guzzi. The rest of the bike kind of reminds me of a Triumph, a Bonneville. And the rear end reminds me, I'm going to say that it, it has like mostly Triumph. I guess it mostly looks like a lot like Triumph to me, but in some aspects, it looks a little bit like what Yamaha's trying to do with the XSR. But most of those new uh, retro, the sport heritage models are monoshock, you know what I mean? Except for the, the Bolt, which, you know, is the SCR, their Yamaha Scrambler, that thing is based on the Bolt. So it has cruiser shocks on it. And that's really the only one that looks as retro as this Honda besides, of course, a Triumph, which is still, you know, harnessing Triumph has never really got away from that old school look. They've kind of retained that. And, and all these other people are coming around and coming back and coming around and coming back. Well, I'll talk about BMW in a minute, but I think Honda has really harnessed this. And if I, I really like the CB1100. I, I, from what I heard, it was a little bit dry, a little bit safe, you know, a little bit Honda. You've heard me talk for several episodes now about how Honda doesn't tend to be too risky and exciting. And so I, I just, I'm hoping that the CB1100 RS... A comes to the states because I didn't see anything saying that it was specifically going to be for the United States, but I know they have they still have them in Canada, so I'm hoping that they c- come back here and jump in this retro craze. So that's one thing I am glad that even if the OEMs are kind of late to what's what's cool and what's new, uh, I hope that this you know market segment opens up and kind of continues to bring these old cool sport classics because even if they're around just for like a couple of years i really love the ducatis you know and they were only the monsters those old ones that really look kind of like classic triumphs and stuff they were only around for a few years and you know the cb 1100 you can get a, a pretty good deal on one of the old ones but these new refined ones especially if they're meeting emission standards much better i mean this is like the way to go so yeah i really hope that these things kind of take off and we, we we see these come back and uh yeah so it's really exciting that they're you know bringing back this really really bitchin looking old vintage kind of looking honda um from what i heard yamaha 
you know, they've made a bunch of announcements as what's going to be coming. <clears throat> pardon me, what's going to be coming out and available in 2017 already. Uh, apparently they're kind of refreshing their lineup again with the FZ 10 SP. And, uh, that is basically, I don't know what's up with the SP, but everybody seems to be going with the SP, uh, uh, suffix. Honda has the SP, uh, Yamaha has the SP. What else did I read that had the SP? I can't remember, but, uh, I've looked at so many bikes today, but yeah. So, uh, you know, Yamaha's got uh, some stuff and some new refreshes coming out. I know they have uh, an R6 that's getting a little bit more um, press release right now. The uh, the Honda, that was the one I already mentioned with the SP. They also ha- say that they have a an SP2. I, I really haven't checked into that too, too much. But uh, I know that Yamaha's FZ09 got updated a little bit and... Nothing really much from Yamaha. BMW made some news. They've been making news. I heard, you know, a while back that the carb filings, they had trade or patented or filed some names for some new models, the Pure and the Racer. Uh, I've seen a little bit more details on them come out since I got back from vacation. And basically, I don't know what to think. The Pure just looks to me like a, a dialed back R9T. It doesn't have, it just has a single instrument cluster rather than the duels that the r9t has i guess it's going to be a little cheaper they say but it really just looks like a plain rt to me there's not a huge huge difference what did i notice that was different i think the rt has inverted forks um and the pure is going to have standard forks like the uh, scrambler model does the r9t racer now that that is something to behold i mean and they're both based on this modular frame and i and we talked about that a couple episodes ago what does it take to design a bike nowadays what does it take to uh you know market a bike and when you're talking r&d and you're talking cost savings you know what i mean like the world is not a bajillionaires like we once thought we were a few years ago before everything fell apart. We were, we've slowly marched out of a worldwide recession and some places still haven't. So I think people are stopping. I noticed it. I noticed it right away, especially with Harley Davidson. They don't offer 18,000 paint sets anymore. Like they used to standard. That stuff is custom. Now you got to pay a little bit more for that. And it saves because you don't have to like, you know, if you figure that every time you paint a bike or like even a car, run a run a batch of cars through, it costs uh, money to change all those paints, you know, and, and all that stuff. And to offer that many and then keep that many in stock and like, you know, you only sell so many blue ones and all those are gone. And now you only have like orange tanks left. Yada, yada. You got to you got to if you crash that or somebody wants to replace it for whatever reason, dent it and and need a new one. You're keeping all that crap on hand. So the more paint colors you have, you just got to figure that's more paint sets on hand. So I've seen companies dial the paint colors back a little bit. Now this modular frame stuff, especially with the way we were talking about BMW going to carbon frames, I can see that this modular platform for them is really going to work. And the R19 Pure and the R9T Racer are examples of that because they're both based off of this modular frame that the R9T has. They've already built the Scrambler platform off it pretty successfully. Now they're adding this uh, you know, new aspect to it. And, and like I said, the R9T Pure is dialed back. I guess they're 
stripped it down to its purest elements. But the R9T Racer really is a looks like a cafe racer throwback. I, I noticed that they both have cast wheels, so they're getting away from the spoked wheel. I don't know the exact purpose for that, except for that the Scrambler and the R9T may be based on uh, off-roading or scrambling bikes, which definitely, if you have an off-road bike, a spoked wheel will allow it to flex a little bit and bend, where if you you can bend a rim and replace it, you can't bend a cast wheel and replace it. Usually, it usually breaks or it's done if you uh, bend it. So uh, I could see why, for those models, a uh, uh, wire wheel was, was good, and for these newer ones, that they might revert back to the old uh, a cast wheel for rigidity and stuff like that. So that was really interesting to see. And the the racer really does kind of look like a 1960s or 70s. I mean, if you think of like the Ducatis when they did the Paul Smart Ducati replica, this BMW looks like that. It's got a round headlight with the bikini fairing and it's kind of lower and lean. They're kind of getting back to the cafe racer aesthetic, which in my opinion had gone away uh and i don't really see that many cafe racer uh builds anymore especially from a factory so that's really interesting that bmw uh, embraced the cafe racer scene instead of going i mean obviously they're not going to build a bobber or a chopper or stuff like that there's enough harley davidson's right now but uh i see that yeah they're they're making something this new aesthetic trying to um I don't know, present like another heritage model out there. And I think it's really cool. And I think it's probably pretty cheap. I know I just, I recently did the scrambler. Uh, and I know that they've got a lot of accessory parts for that, like a little number plate fly screen thing and, you know, accessory seats and, uh, you know, mod that whole modular rear end. I think I had talked about it before when the R9T first came out, they were showing you all the different configurations you can do. So the racer almost just looks like the R9T little seat bump that came with that as an except like a factory option. You could get like this little cafe hump in the back. Well, it looks like the racer is going to have that on there. Um, both that and the pure, I think had a two into one exhaust where the R9T was like a two into two or a two to one, two and the scrambler had the high pipes so yeah they're they're a little bit you know they're a little bit different and they they actually look nice it's kind of nice to see bmw not going crazy but uh also using that modular frame that they have to to go ahead and kind of redo something like that and a quick blurb from bmw i read that they're uh the sx the r one no it's not an r it's the s1000xr and uh Apparently, they just revised that just barely. Same with the S1000R, um, more power, less weight, more technology, less vibrations, all this great stuff, a little bit of revision in those. I know that they there was a big talk on a British show that I listened to about how clunky and vibrating they could be uh, at certain, especially the R's, at um, certain uh, trying to take off and the clutch would judder and all this stuff and and all that great stuff. So it seems like throughout the BMW range, they're working on getting a little bit lighter weight and a little bit less vibration and just more, more rider comfort. So that's pretty cool. It seems like, uh, you know, some of the changes are huge from the show so far. And some of them are, are just minor revisions, but still what's important is that all the bikes are going to be Euro four compliant. Mo that means most of them, uh, you know, if they're going to be for this market, 
that we need to um, anticipate that they'll be coming over to the States. You know, that's pretty cool. And and Europe and all that stuff. Because I did see a lot of stuff for India. You know, there's a lot of small bikes that don't make it to any of these places. And if you're in England, I know we got a lot of new listeners in England. And thank you for the t- Tumblr follows. We just ha- we have like a bajillion people following us on Tumblr now. And it's really nice. There's a lot of uh, tattoo artists from England that have been following your stuff. If you follow us on Tumblr... If you're a new uh, follower, I I usually check out the feed and look at your, you know, pictures, see what you're into. So even if I don't repost a lot of stuff, all nearly 800 of you that have uh, followed our our little account, I have also looked and uh, perused your feed and seen the stuff that you're into. So I know there's a lot of people from England, uh, a lot of people from India. So if you guys have some insight and you listen to the show... Let me know what I, I'm kind of interested to see what types of bikes because I know that there's like licensing issues and it's not it's like a tiered licensing system. I know that it's not just as easy as the U.S. to just bring all these big bikes over and leave that smaller market out. I kind of I'm interested in smaller bikes and uh you know the the tiered licensing and all that stuff and I'm and I just wanted to know about what sort of things. Um, actually make it to the uk versus what makes it over here just because it's such a wider variety of bikes it seems like to me you know and so that's one thing you can say is that the economy definitely has made people pick and choose what markets they're going to deliver to and in one way it's sad because that limits the smaller bikes that we get over here uh and kind of i don't know just maybe they're when they don't sell as well, they don't want to offer them over here, but it really does make me wonder about what else is out there and what else would be cool if you had some spare bucks or you're in the market for a used bike, what are you missing out on? If you just want a track day bike and you just want like a 300, like a KTM 390, well, they make, I know they make KTM 125s, you know, like uh, they make really small displacement sport bikes for other parts of the world. And if you wanted something cheap that you just want to try out a track day or try mini racing and stuff like that, what are we missing out on? So, uh, yeah, this whole Intermont thing is pretty darn exciting. And I've seen a lot of stuff coming down the pipe. I'm probably going to wait for everything to clear out and for the week to end. And I might talk about some of this stuff next week because then we'll see like a shakedown of what's really come out and and everything we'll have better coverage of everything uh by then so i'm just really excited that this happened you know when i came back from vacation i knew i was going to be behind anyway but it's kind of cool to come back and have a lot of stuff to look at since a lot of racing seasons are ending and and all that so we'll probably talk about that next week but yeah if anybody has any more insights or wondering what's going to be coming out uh Email the show, call the show, send a smoke signal, um, hit us up on Facebook, Twitter, all that great stuff. Um, Tumblr, you know, be a Tumblr follower. I'll probably post a special picture up when we hit 800 people because I think we're getting pretty close. So, all right, let's move on to the next subject. So moving from international motorcycle shows to international elections and politics. If you're not familiar with the United States, this year we are going through a major election cycle. We have them every couple of years, and if there's a special election in between, but every four years we have a presidential election, and this year we have an orange man and a crazy woman running for president of the United States. Those are the major parties. We do have some minor parties and write-in 
candidates that would probably be better options, but we'll just, I'll leave politics out of it. But at any rate, the thing I wanted to talk about was marijuana. And the reason that it's so important, I got a little press release from AAA, which is the American Automobile Association, and they are a major insurance provider uh, for here in the States or North America, I guess. And um, basically, their stance on should marijuana be legal or not, simply because, uh, uh, as well as the presidential election, there's states that are voting on uh, state initiatives this year. And five states are, you know, they'll decide whether or not to legalize recreational marijuana. Now, I, marijuana probably is not any more dangerous than alcohol. And a hell of a lot more people smoke weed than drink, if you can imagine. I mean, that's kind of crazy to think, but it, it, it probably balances out somewhere in the middle there. But I know a lot of people that uh, don't drink but smoke marijuana. It's pretty interesting. And to think about that and think of some of the research that they've done, the AAA has a foundation for traffic safety, and they analyzed information um, where drivers who used cannabis were in fatal crashes. And Washington State, I believe it is, uh, in 2014 made marijuana, recreational marijuana legal. And in 2013, 8% of people involved in fatal crashes had marijuana in their system. And in 2014, when they made it legal, it doubled, well, more than doubled, it was 17%. So they're quoting that more than seven, you know, it more than doubled. Let me, let me do a direct quote. After legal, quote, after legalization, the proportion of fatal crashes that involved marijuana more than doubled, end quote. And the thing is, is they, they'll tell you, it says right here that they don't know if the people causing the accidents were all high or if the, somebody, you know, texting, crashing into people that were high. They just know that 17% of the people were uh, had THC in their system. What this suggests to me is that it's not necessarily more people uh, smoking weed causing crashes. What it does suggest to me is that there's double the people smoking weed and maybe both occupant, maybe both uh, vehicles that crashed were both smoking. It doesn't, uh, you know, it doesn't necessarily say that it's a contributing factor. It just notes that, you know, there was a higher percentage of people who had THC in their systems in these crashes. So that's, it's a little bit troubling to me, but basically they want, they oppose the measures to legalize recreational marijuana use. They recommend voting no specifically in California and Maine are the states that they mentioned. So I don't know what three other states uh, intend to, <clears throat> pardon me, legalize it, but you got to think of that when you're, when you're going to buy your motorcycle and you're going to insure it, you probably don't take into account things like, do I live in a dry county? Do uh, Is recreational marijuana legal in my state? Cert is there a helmet law? Things like that. And, and the only reason I bring all this stuff up is because on one hand, it is, you know, we don't want our freedoms to be encroached on. But on the other hand, I, I don't want to pay for some extra for my insurance because it's legal to smoke weed here now because I don't smoke weed. And yeah, I drink, but I don't drink and drive. Now does that, you know, does it, it so that that's where I'm getting at. Like, are we going to be paying extra for stuff? And, uh, and I wear a helmet, so I don't want to pay for somebody that doesn't wear a helmet and gets in an accident and it's a brain dead vegetable. I, I don't think that's right. And I don't think it would be right for me to be a drunk driver or hell, even a smoker and get cancer and have other people's, uh, 
insurance rates be higher because I chose to smoke or something like that. So it's just something interesting to think about. And I think part of the reason is because if you're an insurance company, you lose money on that. You lose money on claims. Uh, and let's not just make it a money thing. Let's make it a loss of life thing. I mean, we're always sad to any time that there is a loss of life due to irresponsible actions and stuff like that. But especially as an insurance carrier or provider, and uh, you know you're you're operating in a large state like California, where already there's probably you know a very very large number of uh, uninsured drivers, and you know there's all sorts of stuff that happens. But then you start like looking at your your costs and and this and that, and it's like oh my god, we're gonna have to raise premiums, and then everyone that lives here is pissed because we're already paying a sunshine tax. Now we're gonna be paying more for insurance. And I don't know. I really don't think that it's fair to say that everyone that smokes marijuana or everyone that drinks crashes and causes fatal crashes. But if you legalize something and the stuff doubles, then uh, I would just say more people are smoking weed. But take you know, that's just something I thought was kind of interesting. I don't want to spend too much time on it because I don't even know how the in the outcome is going to be. I don't. I'm you know, all these things are just up for proposal. They're probably not even finalized, but. It's interesting to to see the AAA stance on the issue, and they've said that there's a worrying trend that they've seen in other states already due to the legalization of marijuana use, and there's not a real way to test for it, which would be another thing, because then at least you could hold people accountable, but marijuana metabolizes differently in different people's systems, and so does alcohol, but for the most part, I think they have the tests ironed out where if you take a breathalyzer and it's suspicious or on the line, you could take a blood test, which is more accurate, and you can actually measure uh the effect or the the amount of alcohol. So that's what we've done with alcohol. We've said if there's this amount in your system, and of course that's going to be different based on your body weight and this stuff like that and how fast your metabolism is. And just for THC, it's a little bit harder, I guess, you know, an opiate versus just like a straight, I'm not sure what type of drug alcohol is, but, um, you know, something that's like that, like an opioid or something, I guess is a little bit harder to test the exacting effects uh, as it is for alcohol and just take a, a static measurement. But just something to think about this election year. Do you want your freedoms or do you want your uh, insurance premiums to go up or do you want both? You know, I, I, we'll have to see how this pans out. It's just an interesting thing that popped into my inbox and I thought would be interesting to talk about. And I hope that it's interested you. Is it interesting? Speaking of drugs and being interesting and alcohol and all this stuff, uh, you may have heard me mention at the top of the show that I just got back from a vacation to my birthplace of Sweet Place, Arkansas. I was born in Booker Hollow, which is uh, right around Toad Suck, Possum Grape, and Star City. <laughs> Not really. Those are some really cool town places in uh, Arkansas, along with Arkadelphia and Texarkana. Lots of names getting mixed up for places. That's what happens when you have a state that doesn't have much in it. You got to get creative. But the thing I, I wanted to talk about was the anonym anonymity on this show. Uh, I was kind of getting a little bit transparent, and now I just have to go right back to being as anonymous as possible, partially because of the fact that um, who my family and my father is and the, his 
let's just say not quite above the table dealings and trade, shall we say? I think you guys know what I'm talking about. While I was while I was back there, I partook of a lot of liquor and my family lives in the dry county. So let's just uh, put it that way. The, now, right by the airport is, is not dry. So I was able to have uh, Jack Daniels for breakfast. And I think I mentioned also that my, my dad's a little bit of a crazy uh, hobo hermit alcoholic. So uh, every meal that he has and every drive that he has and everything else he has involves a little bit of liquor. I was surprised to see that I know there's a seatbelt law back there, but nobody enforces it unless a cop is like literally turning around and then they'll put it on and the cop will say, oh, oh, okay, you got it on. I guess I guess uh, I miss saw you. And also uh, drinking and driving, I know has to be illegal. But uh, the thing is, is that nobody appears to care since there's only like three uh, sheriff's deputies and marshals and all that stuff in the whole county. So it's literally like Duke's a hazard where you have the, the same three cops basically roaming around and everyone knows where they are at all times. So there it's, it's not entirely lawless, but it's interesting coming from California. Let's just put it that way. Now, the, the big thing that you, might have seen if you were following our Facebook feed is that I, I was kind of in a motorcycle free zone, but not a hundred percent. Now my family, they have, you know, everybody actually back there. You, I saw a couple Yamaha dealerships and a Husqvarna dealership. And I have to say that the Yamaha dealership only sold, uh, ATVs and, and side by sides for, uh, basically for farm, and hunting use. So the dynamic back there is really, really different. I know there's a Harley Davidson dealership in town and I know that there is, well, the Husky dealership, they sold like chainsaws and, and brush hogs and, and all sorts of generators and stuff. They didn't sell Husky motorcycles. So the, the point I'm trying to make is that there was very little actual motorcycle, uh, use back there recreationally. Mo- everything, including livestock and pets and everything, everything is pretty much serves a functional purpose. So if you have a dog, he is for keeping wolves away or, or coyotes away, uh, for working your cattle or working your sheep, which is most of the livestock back there. I didn't, or, or turkeys, I guess you can raise, uh, birds. And, um, so yeah, g- dogs are for guarding wild animals or for hunting, uh, a lot of times they, my, my cousin hunts pigs, um, a lot of bears back there and of course deer. And then if you are like a fox runner or a raccoon hunter, uh, you can use tree dogs. So yeah, they're, everything's kind of a tool back there. And so you don't see a lot of, I, well, at least I didn't see a lot of dirt bikes. I'm sure they exist. Uh, there was a place somewhere around there called Wolfpen Gap, which is, uh, my dad was telling me how many, tra- I forget how many miles of trails, but it's like 40 miles of trails or something like that. And people from Texas uh, on a, usually come down. When I think of like people going to the desert here in California and how many trailers and stuff you see heading east on the weekends, uh, you know, they're either going to the river or they're going out to the desert, depending on uh, what type of toys are loaded up in the back. And the same thing was true for there. A lot of four by fours and quads going out to the Wolf Pen Gap area or 
pardon me, some of the other trails, I guess, that are around there. And so it's kind of interesting, uh, the dynamic. And I'm sure that I, I've read somewhere that I know, I know that there's motorcycles that go to the wolf pen and I know there's mountain bikes and stuff like that. I think that use it too. So it's just weird to see when you do actually have a recreational area, most of it is absorbed by side by sides and, uh, uh, four wheelers or, I called them quads and they didn't know what I was talking about. They probably thought I was talking about your leg muscles. So yeah, it's kind of funny that the dynamic there and the riders are basically, I mentioned before, you know, mostly cruisers and stuff like that. I did, like I said, I did see a couple scooters and the sport bike and the sport bike guy had a helmet on the, the scooter guy had a helmet on and a couple of the cruiser guys had helmets on, uh, but most of them not. So it's just really an interesting thing to go back there, look for a motorcycle culture and see what, what that tr- actual is happening back there for as much uh, tourism and stuff like that as those guys could be profiting from and, and uh, what's available and how just how beautiful it is back there. People just don't take advantage of it. And I don't know, I thought I'd see more people back there on sport bikes and stuff because th- the last time I was out there, I had seen this dude cruising on his uh, bright green ninja and no helmet and actually had a hat baseball cap on backwards and it wasn't blowing off. And like I mentioned before, it's because the speed limits are so low. I have a feeling that's why not a lot of people wear helmets, but that doesn't always mean that things don't end in tragedy. And in fact, one of my father's really, really good and close friends, he'd known him. I forget. He said about 40 years they had been friends. Uh, he owned a shop around there or something like that. Uh, and basically one day coming home, he rode his motorcycle everywhere whenever he could. And one day coming home from work, he came out of the shop there and a car turned left in front of him or, or pulled out right in front of him is what my dad said. But I, I knew what he meant and didn't see him coming, even though he was just right there, right out the front of the driveway. And uh, the guy perished and that's all I heard about was just how crazy that was. And, you know, I, everyone in my family was talking about it when I told them I rode motorcycles and this and that. It's not like they were saying, why do you ride? It's too dangerous. They were just saying, oh man, like we have experienced our, our own, in our own small little town here, like 400 people in the town or something like that. We have experienced a, a great loss just by losing one and uh, it seems like a lot when you come from a town that small. But uh, yeah, there's been all sorts of little accidents around there from what they're telling me. Some of the cool stuff I learned about was my dad told me a while ago that he, I swear he said he had a an XT250 back in the day or a DT250 uh, when he was in California in the Navy. And uh, this time around, he was telling me about his XL350 that he used to have. So I'm not 100% sure if he had two different bikes or if he was confused, uh, maybe just a little under the influence the first time he was telling me the the story a few years ago about what type of bike he had. But yeah, definitely there was no there was no shortage of funny motorcycle stories. So we, we chatted about that. Uh, I really couldn't really record anything. People are leery about that. Uh, most of the time we were, you know, drinking illegal, um, well, I'll just say moonshine. And, um, yeah, my, 
my family has quite a business and business relationship with uh, making, you know, quote, the good stuff. You know what I mean? Like there's a lot of, it's so rural that there, and, and it's dry that throughout the centuries, people have just improvised. Let's just put it that way. Let's to put it, put it gently enough. Uh, I don't think I drank anything from the store the whole time I was there, except for the very first day when, um, my dad picked me up from the, uh, the airport and we stopped cause we were in a, in a County that's not dry. So we stopped and, and I had Jack Daniels for breakfast. That was uh, pretty interesting. And every morning the coffee had, uh, a little bit of real Irish cream, so from like the time I got up until the time I went to bed, pretty much my days were filled with um, some sort of liquor. It was really hard to keep hydrated with all those assholes there. And I was like, you guys, I'm drying out. Like, I don't understand how you guys do this every day. And uh, that's just kind of how they've grown up and they've adapted. Their bodies definitely have adapted because literally I was like hurting at some point. Like, I need water. <laughs> But yeah, so it's kind of interesting. Lots of, uh, a lot of fun. Let's just put it that way. I had a lot of fun and it was really cool. And if I go back again, I will definitely make it motorcycle related, uh, maybe a motorcycle trip. And I'll take pictures of all the cool stuff that you can do back there just because there's no reason not to visit that part of the country and experience all the beauty, uh, and everything back there. Especially if your family owns as much property as, as my family does, you can literally make a day of trail riding. I mean, there's all sorts of weird old wagon paths that go through there from some of the old uh, first settlers that settled that area. And they're still used a little bit now and then by, you know, my, my relatives will drive their property, you know, once a year <laughs> looking for deer and all this and that. Um, and as access roads here and there. But I mean... I'm talking about you would need like an ADV bike to get around some of these driveways and get around some of the roads that crisscross through the property. And my cousin, if the creek gets too high, he gets stuck and he has to go a back way out of his house. So, yeah, it's really it was really cool. So if you're fortunate enough to know somebody back there with enough property like like that, you could make a whole adventure just of camping and riding around on the property, just kind of sightsee and looking for wild, wild animals and all this great stuff. So, uh, next time I go out, maybe I'll do that. Um, have to get like a, an ADV bike capable of climbing some serious hills. Cause we're talking like a holler back there, you know, the hills are up and down for, for real. They're not rolling, not not that much. So, uh, what I did back there too, uh, I did do some motor related stuff. I, you know, four wheelers are huge. Like I said, big farm tools. That was like my little transport while I was back there, uh, cruising around all the, to the different family members, all their property adjoins. And so you can kind of, you don't need to go on the, the main highway, which is literally like four miles away anyway you have to drive four miles down a crazy dirt road uh, we're talking like world rally championship style road with like crests and river crossings and everything to get to the highway but yeah so you can you don't need to go to the road to get down the street to your neighbor's house you can cruise through the woods on these little goat paths and coyote trails and deer trails and, and little uh you know trails that they've driven back up there in the truck enough times that it's actually kind of made a path through the trees that's what i did and i also almost didn't almost roll i guess but it felt pretty gnarly i seeded a field for my dad while i was back there 
he's got this little seed uh, spreader on the back of his quad, and you he to- uh, hooked up a toggle switch to the battery and click it on, and away you go, and it spreads the seed through the woods, and he's making a little rye pasture for his sheep uh, in the winter. And he had, like, this little patch uh, skidded, you know, uh, got the trees off of it and all this stuff had some dozer work done on it and it dude it was rough because it kind of went down this hill into this natural holler hollow and it was pretty steep going down you couldn't go sideways or you would definitely roll so i had to like lean way back and and feather the brake on the way in and then i had to get up and lean over the handlebars to keep the front wheels from coming up on the way up and and yeah i went up and down this thing probably 50 times uh spreading the seed back and forth in like this little zigzag pattern. I had to make a few refills and a few passes. I went through, uh, I think at least 120 pounds of seed. So yeah, I did, I did get some cool stuff. I, I did haul ass a few times across the creeks and up the, these little rocky roads to check on the sheep. And as I'm hauling ass around, I kind of thought about, uh, Cat Taylor from Motorcycles and Misfits in the back of my head because I didn't have a helmet on. I, you know, I just, basically went from working in the yard to jumping on the quad and heading over that nobody has helmets back there partially because they use their side-by-sides a lot more than my dad just happens to have a quad so and they don't use it for recreational use so they're usually not going really fast but I was thinking what if I had rolled here in this hollow even on this the relatively soft dirt like having this big ass grizzly 750 come back over me it could be troublesome you know and uh, it, it had four-wheel drive so it was like really nice climbing and stuff like that but you hit a bump or you hit a tree and you jump over it and you're just like caught off guard I had to whip a few branches out of my way once in a while and I was thinking if I were doing that while I'm giving it gas and it just happened to catch a rock all at the same time because all that stuff was present I could go over so easy and I almost did turning I mean I had to like I really counterbalanced my weight to keep from going over a couple times uh turning on an off camber like 40 degree slope or whatever the heck it was I forget how how steep the hill was right there but it was really steep steep enough that a four-wheeler was wanting to tip up and if I had leaned into the turn it would have so yeah just thinking about the silly things that I you know would would I be wearing a helmet if I did this uh in California definitely if I was going to be hauling ass and trying to jump that thing or do any sort of like woods cross stuff with it and get serious about riding especially at the Wolf Pen Gap area since those are like recreational trails I would have been geared up but just around the farm I was kind of taking it for granted and I started to think about that's kind of when we lose our perspective of how dangerous some of the stuff we do is and I wasn't even on two wheels I mean I I probably would have wanted a helmet if I was on two just because falling over even the littlest slight bit and, and hitting my head or getting whiplash or something would have sucked to fall over at like one mile an hour on this really steep rocky hill and hit your head on a rock. Like that would have just been stupid. Or even hit your face and get a bloody nose. That would have just been so dumb. But I was taken for granted that this quad was probably more stable. And until I did hit a couple of rocks and make a couple of those turns, then I started to really think that you got to be serious no matter when you're like the most lax is probably when the craziest stuff when you're like most relaxed and not paying attention because you feel too comfortable it's probably when stuff is most likely to happen and um because you're not on edge and you're not like paying attention so well so yeah i really started to like turn my brain around a little bit and actually think about what i was doing and not go 40 miles an hour across rough terrain um 
that was trying to buck me off without any gear on because that would have been the suckiest vacation ever to get thrown and break a collarbone or even sprain your ankle or bruise your arm real bad, you know, and then you got somebody that's like, hasn't seen you in five years that has five years of work to catch up on. And all of a sudden you're like in the hospital in a state 1500 miles away from home. So yeah, it was just something interesting that I started to think about while I was back there. All right. We are getting late here. We're running a little long in the tooth. We don't want to go too long. I do want to bring you the DIY tip for the week. I don't even know if I left one last week because I had recorded that before I even left for my trip. So uh, I'm going to bring you that. But first, I wanted to bring an email, a very insightful email from Matthew M. You may remember a couple episodes ago, I was talking about the Harley Davidson and the tariffs and all that great stuff and kind of running off the top of my head what I thought I had read somewhere. So Matthew wrote a great uh, a missive here to kind of clear stuff up. It says, hello, creative writing team. Just finished enjoying episode 44 and I have listened to them all, but I do have a couple of things I would like to share. First, have been a motorcycle age or motorcycle buying age during the HD tariff years. I remember it had nothing to do with racing. The economy was still lagging from its last tough time and HD accused all the Japanese manufacturers of dumping their heavyweight bikes in the U.S. market at a cost, at cost, I'm sorry, and uh, that was unfair competition. And since HD made nothing under 750cc, they didn't care if they dumped those bikes here. It was only bikes that they felt directly hurt their sales and that they wanted the tariffs applied to. And before I continue with this email, I'd like to mention that in the last couple recessions that have happened, I've been alive for. But if you go back and look in the 80s, there was one. I think in the 70s, there was one. uh, And probably, I don't know, it seems like every 20 years, there's like this recession, right? So this is nothing new that the economy has been going up and down over the past century and a half. Uh, so to continue his email, at, at that time, everyone had a glut of bikes on their showroom floor and no one had money for toys. Unfortunately, that's how we treat them here, but that's another story. And HD only had like 4% of the heavyweight motorcycle market. This was also during the AMF years for HD and the bikes were awful. They leaked, they broke, they shook apart, they were slow and they were expensive. By making the import bikes more expensive, it was easier for them to compete, and it was probably in reality did save them. But improving their product with the Evo motor and quality control implemented by employees slash owners and marketing to other people rather than just the faithful kept the product line alive. Again, I'm going to stop the email here because this sounds exactly like what's going on today in, in Harley-Davidson's history. So to continue, secondly, there's a gentleman's agreement with the big four Japanese manufacturers limiting the, limiting the speed of their bikes to 186 miles per hour. There have been many laws proposed at banning bullet bikes or racing bikes in the U.S., and the big four voluntarily agreed to put limiters on their bigger machines. BMW, Ducati, Moto Guzzi, KTM, and MV were not part of these agreements, if I recall all this correctly. The problem... The problem I see with the government ruling and limits is the, quote, you don't need, unquote, argument. You don't need to go faster than 186, right? I probably don't, but who are you to decide? I don't think you need a bigger house than 100 or 1,000 square feet for a family of four, a car more than 200 horsepower, one gas-powered vehicle for person, or an energy-sucking big-screen TV bigger than 24 inches. 
And I think I get his point. So it truly is a slippery slope. Own what you want, use it in poor judgment or carelessly, and then pay the price for it. Anyway, thanks for the podcast. Enjoying your ramblings immensely. Ride fast and take chances. So I'm guessing that uh, Matthew also listens to uh, Cleveland Moto. And yeah, I think... Oh boy, in episode 44, I think I did kind of talk about do we really need stuff that goes this way? Do we really need stuff that goes that fast? Do we need 300 horsepower bikes when you can't ride them? When you know, there's no 300 mile an hour speed limits. And I'm with him on that. I think I also mentioned, if not in the very next episode or in that episode, that sometimes I like to play devil's advocate with stuff or just kind of think outside the box. Uh, Sometimes I think economically about stuff and sometimes I think fanatically about stuff. And when I think fanatically, meaning I'm a big fan of speed and horsepower and stuff, yeah, I don't care, you know, and I don't care what you do. I, I think you should be free to do what you want to do. And, uh, you know, all that that line from Easy Rider, <laughs> free to <laughs> ride what I want to ride and all that great stuff. So I'm with you there, Matthew. Um, great email. I wasn't 100% sure about the Harley Davidson, uh, the tariffs. I, I thought it was based on racing because I had heard that the 750 uh market and up uh was was basically their target and for some reason i thought that it was due to honda coming over here and dominating the racing but now that does make sense too if you got a racing bike that's winning and a 750 that's selling and and harley makes anything over 750 uh then yeah that does make sense that you wouldn't want any 750s to be way cheaper than than your market and that is probably what saved harley and in a way it was not a bank bailout. It was a tariff. We've been doing that. Other countries do that as well. Uh, but in a way, it's kind of like, you know, you, you either price it right and market it right or you fail. And, and we're seeing exactly that right now. So, yeah, it's an interesting time. We're kind of seeing history repeat itself. And uh, like I I really think and I've said uh, this is probably 10 episodes ago that I think I said we've seen history repeat itself style wise the cafe racers have come and gone the scramblers are kind of coming in and making their way out soon next thing I see is 80s bikes and I heard another podcast say that 80s sport bikes are going to be the next thing two enthusiast podcasts who are motorcycle insiders are the ones that actually said that so I I think uh, we're all thinking along these lines right here. Crappy 80s sport bikes are the next big trend. And uh, with this BMW racer, we're kind of seeing that. Even though it's kind of cafe throwback racer style, it's not quite 80s. But yeah, I I think that's where we're headed. That and uh, the sidecar thing, I don't know. That, That may or may not catch on. So before this gets way too long, let's do our DIY tech tip for the week. The DIY tech tip for the week is... Just a little bit less than really a, I don't know, some a, a, a shitty quote for you to, to take on and take with you, which is keep uh, at the grind. One thing that I've seen with some of the guys on the Tumblr uh, accounts that have started following ours is that these guys are artists. They're tattoo artists. They're wrenches. They are uh, graphic artists that draw motorcycle-related stuff, and they're designers, clothing designers and photographers. And the one thing that they all have in common is that they grind, 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 grind. Even though it gets tough sometimes to come home from work, especially if you're not even working in the field that you're passionate about and pursuing, you come home, you sit down, you grind away, whether you're not, you have family, you know, that it's basically time wasted that you could be doing stuff you enjoy, but you're honing your craft. And... Uh, you could find it comes in valuable sometimes. Like I'm not a professional welder. 
but over my vacation, we encountered a certain situation that needed some welding done to solve a problem, which I was going to say this week's tech tip is think outside the box, but that's not really it. it it's, it's grind away because you never know when you're going to need to think outside the box and use these skills that you're developing uh, or an opportunity may come up that you're going to learn. And if you have a motorcycle that's broke down, or like I said, if you have any other passion that you're pursuing that relates to motorcycles and one day uh, an obstacle presents itself in your path, if, if you've grinded away enough, you'll at least be able to creatively think around that and maybe uh, find a solution to that to as a way to overcome that obstacle. So grind away, grind away. It may not seem important now, but not only are you getting your chops in, but it one day might save your ass. All right, let's get to the sorry list. Hey, this is just a reminder. Thanks for enjoying the Creative Writing Motorcycle Podcast. If you've enjoyed what you've heard, please like us in iTunes. Give us a rating in iTunes or at least click on a few stars for us. If you need some help, email the show or go to our Facebook page. We'll we'll type something in there. Just copy and paste it into the review section. Also, you can find us on www.creative-writing.com. Look for us on Facebook at www.facebook.com com forward slash creative writing podcast all one word or in facebook at creative writing podcast if you are on the tumblers go to www.creative-writing.com.tumblr no dot tumblr.com and uh, check us out on twitter at creative underscore writer and i don't know where else we are i guess that's just about it so if you can't find us on itunes go to soundcloud look for the creative writing motorcycle podcast and anywhere that you get your podcast whether it's uh the do- uh, podcatcher dog catcher uh, uh, Google Play Store. There, there's a bunch out there that I really just can't think of right now that we're in. So go check us out in all these places and uh, tell your friends. Thanks. Bye. Creative Writing and the associate producer would like to apologize to the foreign people, company, and or things. Sorry to Jack Reacher. Sorry, Keanu Reeves. We'd like to apologize to Arkansas. My dad. Sorry to any fire service or rural fire service or fire station. Sorry to the victims of Hurricane Matthew. Uh, We are recording this show before it actually is scheduled to hit land, so hopefully there are no victims. But if there are, our apologies and prayers go out to your families. We are sorry to chiggers, ticks, and horned caterpillars. Sorry to sweet tea, locusts, and pizza legs. Sorry to Harley Davidson Motor Company, Honda Motor Company, uh, Scooters, and Trikes, and Victory. Sorry to Shaggy Bearded Dudes, Oklahoma, Texas, and Tennessee. Sorry, South Carolina. Sorry to Twitter, Facebook, and the following networks Fox, NBC, Speed, or any of their spin off sister or affiliate stations or programs. Sorry to the AMA. Sorry to Be In Sports Network. Sorry to the AAA, the American Automobile Association. Sorry to Washington and Maine and Marijuana and California. All right. Keep your wheels uh, under your heels. I need catchphrases.
Yeah. Anyway, so that's something that I noticed that Twitter's been, uh, I guess, making like the rounds and getting Charlie Browns, which you can imagine where those are. Creative Mm -hmm. writing and its associates would like to thank or (laughs) uh, of the, um, what do you call it? I cross the, I cross the, I go up and down three fucking horn caterpillars. Yeah, famous last words, asshole. So, how fast do I have to be to sneak up on one of these sheep and make this Saturday night a little special? 